Welcome to the Pro Player Podcast. Today's episode, an exciting one. Katie Quinlan, assistant coach of the Portland Thorns in the National Women's Soccer League. This time spent with Katie is going to be an amazing listen because Katie held a number of roles, including technical director. She's been a women's first team coach. She spent a long time as a mentor, coach mentor in county FAs in England, as a player and coach developer for the Football Association, experience with Chelsea and Everton Centre of Excellence, and in her career to date spanning over 11 years, began uh, with Challenger Sport, uh, like a lot of people out there will have been listening, coming over doing soccer camp from the UK to the US. So inextricably linked with both sides of the Atlantic and women's soccer. Delighted to have you here, Katie. It's been a little while in you and I meeting, but I'm delighted to finally get to spend some time with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, David. Really excited to have a chat about everything soccer and football. <laughs> and I don't think there's anybody better to, to call it either soccer or football because you have this wonderful story where you've uh, you spent time on both sides of the Atlantic and you're here now uh, working in Portland for the Thorns, which is a phenomenal story in and of itself. But... You know, to me, you're someone who, in the last 11 years of women's football, with where the changes have been so dramatic, you have done a number of roles that I think so many people listening to us today will be out there uh, aspiring to hold. And I think your experience and insight is going to be invaluable. So really, we can start wherever you want. Perhaps we should start uh, at the beginning with Challenger Sports, because uh, that's where a lot of people, including myself, had some of their first experiences, certainly of American soccer, I should talk. Yeah, I feel really fortunate for uh, the timing of my career, really, just because of how big the game's got now. And part of that elevation of the game, I think, has just been a real learning experience day in, day out. Um, every year, the game's changing. And especially from being back home in England, the FA were kind of changing things. Yeah, on, on an annual basis, you've got the implementation of the Women's Super League, everything becoming professionalized so yeah I feel very fortunate to kind of have experienced different sides of the game but yeah Challenger Sports absolutely love my experiences with that organization a great opportunity for students really to get themselves out to a different country um, be left alone to their own devices and I think the real special thing about Challenger for me was the host families where You'd stay with someone for a week and obviously you'd have your pals around you as well doing the camps in the daytime and, and working with players of different ages, being challenged um, to develop them, but also to emphasise everything on around fun. But the host families were the ones that really integrated you into their community, gave you the opportunity to experience the, the culture like I was in Sacramento for the first round I had to google it where Sacramento was um and I was like oh I've landed on my feet here I'm in California sunny side um so stayed with yeah some incredible families and they like took me on an underground tour of like what the city used to look like and yeah all sorts and met family members and then it just stretched for a couple of years, my experiences with Challenger um, went back to back and I was telling my university friends and then they would start going out and then we'd all meet up and it, you'd have a week off in Vegas or something like that. And <laughs> and then um, even to this day, I still talk to the host families and it's it's incredible. I, 
I, the last couple of weeks, uh, I actually had one of the host family's daughters come and stay with me in Portland. Um, so it was just really nice to kind of go full circle and where the kid was, there was three of them in the household and you had a five-year-old, you had 11-year-old and 12-year-old and now grown up, I'm, I'm experiencing like life in, in a different form with them and uh, you've got... It's, it's crazy, isn't it, how that, like the story you're saying there, I obviously had exactly the same experience, but mine was in Little Rock, Arkansas, not on the West Coast. Um, but you see those kids grow up, you stay in touch with them. And now, like you said, it, it, there'll be a lot of people listening who have either done the same thing or are thinking about doing the same thing. And, a, you know, a quick shout out to the Challenger Sports and especially Mel Davis. <laughs> Mel, Mel was Mel was a big, big influence on me. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up probably a stone's throw from where he lived. And he was definitely one of the biggest influences on me in my early 20s and he was the one who told me you've got to get out there and do this once done so amazing to hear you recount that story and and I think just in terms of that then Katie do you think that that had an impact on you eventually coming to live in the United States and work in the United States later on or was that always something that was in your uh, your plan I tried for years and years <laughs> to be over here uh, so after Challenger, I guess I, I didn't do the OPT route, the the part where you'd stay for kind of the full season and work with a club. Um, I wanted to get back home and be coaching in England. So, yeah, I, I went, headed straight back to England, but I was always looking at like college jobs to try and get. I must have applied for, I've got it on my hard drive, like 50 jobs, uh, each one, keep tweaking. And yeah, I didn't get a look in. Didn't matter if I, kept going kind of up the up the route of qualifications and the amount of experience I had this club this club how many hours I put on the grass yeah I wasn't wasn't getting a look in um and then it it got to a point where um yeah a couple of years ago I was working at Blackburn um and I felt like I'd kind of done everything that I could with that club I'd been there for a number of seasons. We got promoted into the championship, used all our resources, completely stretched our resources that we had. Um, and yeah, it was was an unbelievable experience for me in terms of growth. But then I applied for a job at a club and I thought, okay, let's go for an experience where it's a project, um, I can build it. Let's experience kind of a different culture. And I'd actually traveled to Texas with Blackburn previously. Um, for the Dallas Cup, actually. And uh, the club reached back out to me, had a couple of phone calls. And, yeah, they were really keen to move forward their organisation with, I guess, a little sprinkle of some uh, international experience and new ideas. And, yeah, I started to go through the, the process of an O-1 visa, which, well, took its time, um, especially around COVID. but worth it and I would recommend it to anyone it was um, a brilliant experience even just to go through the O1 visa where originally the attorney was saying to me you need 10 to 12 references and I'm thinking one I'm not that old and two it's not that great really is it to be changing jobs every year so I was like stretching myself thinking who, who can I ask um managed to get like a handful of some really good experiences together um, and references. Really thankful to the people who, who supported me with that visa process. 
um, and then yeah, spent a year in Texas, um, going from England in the women's championship to um, a youth team, a youth club, and trying to build that program up to an ECNL level, working with yeah a really tight knit community. Um, and as people know, Texas is uh, different to anywhere on earth. So yeah, great experience, but I knew kind of very quickly that um, I wanted to get back into a more professional environment. It would take a, mm. a lot more time for me to um, be able to build that in Texas. Um, so yeah, just as soon as I was here, I realized that my network kind of wasn't anywhere where it needed to be. I felt like I needed to upskill myself on how they did things in this country. So reached out to a couple of people that I knew and managed to get um, on the ODP program for South Texas. That was a great experience just to see, yeah, what the next level was like in this country. Uh, and then was fortunate enough to get invited onto the She Champions program um, where you work with a mentor uh, and then we got to kind of celebrate um, the program at the summit which was part of the She Believes Cup so yeah started to extend my network got myself on the uh, B license because even though I had a UEFA A license um, they do this thing where when you switch, switch countries um, yeah. they want you to take the the one below so yeah those experiences kind of I think just highlighted where I, I needed to be for my own personal growth uh, so yeah and then Portland came about really at a perfect time for me and yeah spoke to Mike Norris on the uh, on the zoom and a couple of other members of staff and yeah now I'm in the NWSL fantastic I mean so much to unpack I, I want to go back to the uh, the old one visa which is for those listening that are interested in this stuff or don't know it's the visa for uh, persons of extraordinary ability within the field of, well, sport, basically, uh, amongst a couple of other things. And it's very difficult to get. And the criteria is very, very stringent for people who are uh, wanting to come to the States to work in, in, in soccer. And uh, I, I, I also went through a similar process. So I, I, I again, want to reiterate the thanks to the people who helped you out with the references and, and help everyone out because that process mm -hmm. is so important. And if anybody is considering to follow in the same path as you have done, Katie, I would definitely uh, say the first place you start is with your uh, immigration and with your visa uh, application. So that's definitely something uh, people can, can get some insight into for sure. The story of coming to the to the US and then learning, you know, not just a new, not just a new game, but a new language, new vocabulary, club soccer here in the United States, the pay to play model, the ODP program, Lincoln development program. You know, that's an experience in and of itself, isn't it, Kate? And I think the most successful people are the ones who come and immerse themselves in that first and then go from a position of strength and knowledge. Because I think it's different when you go to another country, isn't it? All your experience, all the work you would have done, all the all the work you did for the FA in England, and then you're basically coming from another country. Same game, but completely different set of uh, parameters, if you like, isn't it? What, what were your early experiences of soccer? In the United States versus football in the uh, in the UK, I guess just the people around you is so important to get information from. So it doesn't matter whether you're staying in the same country or whether you're yeah moving to the other side of the world. I think 
one those people will help kind of embed you um but also just to really give you insight into how things work because you might have one one way of doing things but then actually you realize that that's not going to work in the environment you're in so it's really getting to know kind of what's been done before and i guess yeah that would be my kind of words of wisdom if you like for any time you move to a different organization around how you get to know what what's been done before and what's appropriate so that you can start to i guess influence and give your own ideas in in the right way so yeah i i came to a, a club called gulf coast youth soccer club uh and just when i arrived the scale and size of what we were working with so I back in Blackburn I probably was looking after a hundred players each season within the technical director role. Um so we had like under nines through till the senior team. And then I come over here and I just look at the numbers and I'm think I'm kind of rubbing my hands together thinking there's so much impact you can have here where there's like at least a thousand players. Um, you've got recreational and then you've also got like the academy and, and whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, really interesting experience in terms of just managing different people and to be able to manage a thousand players plus parents, whoever else wants to turn up to the field that weekend and that week. Also kind of managing the logistics of that and the different fields and who's on, on what and who's where and what in the weekend and then over here you've got coaches which seems mad to me because in England you have one team and that's your team over here you manage four different teams so just a real appreciation for what people do over here and how how invested they are in the game um was a real big learning and something that I could kind of grasp onto quite quickly and um yeah I still keep in contact now with the people in Texas because incredible like devotion to the game and and the growth of the game as a whole so I think it's really important to support them as as people and professionals and yeah they just want the best for their kids and, and their community what what would be your if you could give I don't know one two three snippets bullet points of advice to an aspiring coach or somebody who wants to come and work in the United States or, you know, this podcast goes around the world. So maybe they just want to go and work in another country, but for you, obviously, um, the United States version. So what would be your advice be to that aspiring coach who is thinking about it or beginning to think about it or is beginning the process? What, what should they do or be doing in the lead up to making that move? Yeah, I think just reaching out to people who are already in the, those positions is is a great start. So I guess um, not necessarily my first move to Texas, but my second move to Portland, I reached out to Sarah Loudon, um, who, well, was at Houston Dash um, until, yeah, recently. And yeah, she could give me insight that no one else could because she's in it. She's in that environment. Um, she knows how to handle different things that would come up. So that was kind of, yeah, really important to me, taking the right steps and not just imposing myself um, straight away. But then when I moved over here as well, um, it was the listening part and making sure that I don't just yeah, impose my own ideas on people and, and make sure that I'm listening like 
to all different levels, whether it's what the kids have got to say, what the parents have got to say. You're almost doing a, a big survey every single day um, to gain knowledge and and hopefully, yeah, then you can start to move the, the programme forward. You, you've got to have those people on the side, 100%. Um, and then I guess to those people that haven't quite made the move yet, it's making sure that you you get yourself ready. Um, you put yourself in a position where you've got different skill set and you make yourself maybe different to a different candidate. But but just do it. Don't, don't hold back. I've got some friends from back home and... Uh, they always talk about oh i'm gonna move here and i'm gonna go there and they're still back home in the same town yeah. <laughs> i was, I was very fortunate i was very fortunate to be back uh last well, last week travel back to wales for a few days and it's brilliant to go back and see everybody and um you know always feel the love when i go back to have a do and you know it's the difficult part of of being away i suppose is that isn't it that you leave people uh, where they are and kind of the distance is big and family is behind you but the advantages and the life experience of uh, moving across the country or across to another country another continent um is phenomenal as well so i, I want to try and i want to try and talk about a little bit of your life back in britain uh, definitely want to mm. talk about your life now here in the states but i want to i also think that you have such an unbelievable experience in terms of the role you've had and the knowledge you have to share in terms of your, you know, being a coach mentor, coach developer for the FA. Um, so let me ask you, what what makes a good, what makes a good soccer coach in 2023, you know, for aspiring coaches, people working within the game that just want to be the best they can be, what is it that you would encourage that you are mentoring people to do? What makes a good soccer coach now? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think a good soccer coach now is going to be very different to what a good soccer coach looks like next year. So it's that evolution part, that willingness to learn. Like I've learned so much in the last year doing my my job that I do now. Um, and it's really difficult to get that experience until you're in it. Um, but just that ability to be able to adapt and soak in the knowledge and ask the questions, be curious. And that's kind of, I think, how I've got myself here is just putting myself in as many different positions as possible so that I can learn from different people, learn from different departments. So when I did my A licence back in England, I absolutely loved the analysis side of it. So I dug straight into that. And that's how I first got into Blackburn. Um, I They had a head coach at the time. Um, and I said, like, how can I get involved? And I was one to always kind of ask the questions. I was always in your, in your inbox. I was always on your shoulder asking. I remember Marianne Spacey saying to her, oh, can I come watch a training session? I'm at St. George's Park for like my B license or um, one of the courses. And she's like, yeah, sure, come down. And sure, you're going to get, sometimes you're going to get no's. Like that's just the way it is football. Um, but you have to keep asking and put yourself in those positions so that when you do get that yes, you're taking your notebook, you're scribbling it down, you're starting to pull yeah. it apart. And then, yeah, you might go back and do it with your team. And then you're like, mm, that didn't quite work for me. Why did that not work? And then you might 
try it with a different age group and be like, okay, actually that suits better. Oh, okay, I've learned a lesson there. So you just, yeah, constantly, constantly growing, constantly putting yourself in those positions. So I guess that vulnerability piece is, is huge as well. Um, I think in order to grow, you're, you have to feel comfortable with that, what they say, being uncomfortable. So like, I'll say when I went to Chelsea, um, I went from Everton to Chelsea and at Everton I was very comfortable taking the younger players, had a little bit of experience with the older ones and then I went to Chelsea and um, I caught the technical director at the time on their last training session of the year and he said, oh yeah, come in, um, did the session, got the role and for the first couple of weeks I, I felt like I was I was drowning. I was like taking players that are uh, yeah, you like to Lauren James right now. Um, and I was an uh, inexperienced coach. I was currently doing my B licence. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still working with kids. Um, you've got to show your personality. You've got to put yourself in those positions to make sure that you, you, you learn from those mistakes quickly. And I was in such a fortunate position at Chelsea where a lot of the work I did was individual stuff and worked with the players when they came back from international experience and worked with them on their feedback so could build a really good rapport with the players could really work with them on some technical detail and that really kind of set me apart for like my next role so yeah I think that feeling uncomfortable and sometimes you go for a job where you feel like I'm not ready but like when it when is a good time when are you ready yeah. you know um, so those experiences for me where I've, I've made lots of mistakes has been great. And I made this step to move from Chelsea at the time when I was doing my B licence to go to St. Neots, um for the boys under 15s there. Just because I had more opportunity to have a full field at the time. It was very specific in coach education pathway. You needed a certain amount of players, a certain amount of time on the field, like very prescriptive. And I could do what I wanted with that group, probably because it was a less professional environment, so to speak. Mm. So that experience just allowed me to make mistake after mistake um, and really put myself in a position where I could experiment and try different things, learn a different formation. And I think that, mm. that's key to put yourself in in those positions where it's, you're not kind of as, as rigid and, yeah, you're you're actually coaching. Look, we've only spent a few minutes together in the grand scheme of things, but I can tell you have you have a strength within you that allows you to speak vulnerably and openly and honestly. I'm hearing it now, and I'm sure everybody listening is. Did you always have this strength, or as you said there, did you pick this up as you went through these experiences? And and you know, how did how did you get to where you are now? Because it's clearly emanating from you. I've had to bite my tongue a few times, to be fair, but it's kind yeah. of been in, it put into me from a very young age where my mum would always say, if you don't, don't ask, you don't get. So that's yeah. what I mean. I would always be asking, can I come in and observe? Can I, um, can you show me this? And always trying to get information. And I think something that I did learn though, when I was working at a county, I found it's my, kind of like my first full-time football job where I'd send emails out and I'd be asking for things and I'd be thinking and then I'd be getting told by my line manager 
So what are you giving them in return? <laughs> so it's not all about the taking part. Um, and then that was a really big lesson because that obviously told me that like there's other ways to approach things. Sometimes you can't be as direct. Some people aren't as direct as, as you're going to be. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a, uh, I guess, coming to this country, I don't think they're as direct. Um, so I think mm. it plays in my favour sometimes, but also you've mm. you've got to appreciate how you come across. And having, having spent a year with the FA on um, their mentee programme, that they keep evolving over the last couple of years. But um, that was another thing where I did a lot of like psychological testing, which was incredible because I, I really got to understand myself and I got to see myself um, through what, through the feedback other people have given me. Um, this is the insight. This is the insight program you're talking about here, isn't it? The personality test where you yeah. kind of figure out how you interact with other people and how you are at your best what your blind spots are yeah the people who don't know I, that you touch on that quick yeah because I guess for, for me so I've got four older brothers so I'm very kind of like one of the lads get stuck <laughs> in um yeah can be quite abrupt at times and I think the testing just allowed me to recognize how I come across to different people so like they'd give you a color um depending on like how you came across in your personality type so I'm quite a like fiery red but got a little bit of like intuition about me a little bit of creativity so I kind of stretch into one of the other colors whereas someone who's a little bit quieter like a little bit more studious um those people will see me in a very different way to what a red person would see me as so yeah through a number of different kind of CPD events, which the FA are phenomenal at, by the way, mm. in terms of creating those opportunities for um, for coaches, yeah, and like-minded people to get together. That it just allowed me to recognise what my behaviour was like and how I came across to people. So yeah, the testing was just um, it was done through an external company the first one I did and then I think the FA ended up kind of evolving their own testing but it was lane, lane I, four, yeah. Yeah. I had to answer like a whole like assessment sheet um, and then I chose three different people to do the same for me and then yeah I guess they they pulled it all together and yeah some I've still got the papers now I'm talking like Me seven too. years ago yeah. Uh, so it'd be it, interesting to look back at it now. It's really interesting, is it? I, I found it very liberating. I did. I got to be honest. When I wrote, and the way the feedback is written, because it was written like David is best in this circumstance. David will not react well to this feedback. And when I read it, like you said there, when you said those words, I, it took me right back to that moment. It's so powerful. Like I and, I, and I'm always grateful to the FA for that because. Uh, during my time there, it was it wasn't so much the soccer stuff, football stuff, but it was the the professional development stuff you talked about there that I don't think I would have picked up anywhere else at that time or even since. And I'm very very grateful for being able to go through that uh, process of learning and and the evolution in myself yeah. um, to explain maybe why I'm so uh, so crazy sometimes and so packed or whatever the word might be, but how you come across to others. That's still something a lot of people don't consider. They just want to get to the A license, get to the pro license, watch Man City and how Pep is changing the game. And 
they don't think enough about this side would you agree yeah and i think from my time at blackburn really the experience of having other people around me that made me accountable and were actually quite direct themselves helped me because they would tell me how i was behaving they'd tell me how i was acting but they still kind of they accepted that but they were trying to support me and recognize how i came across to other people and i think just from the nature of where we've come from with, with the game we've kind of come from it where it's been quite directive it's been like you you have to be seen as the confident one so it was interesting because when i left blackburn actually um i got presented with a shirt at the end of the season it was signed and obviously it's an emotional time i've been there for like seven years um, so I got a little bit teary <laughs> and the um, one of the players said to me, oh, so, so you can be vulnerable then. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So like, I think you just innately, you feel like you have to come across as this certain person. And I'm talking, I'd been there for seven years. No one had told me that before, but also I hadn't, hadn't really seen that as important for the role of being a coach like you say going back to your question from before so yeah those comments and and I think that's taught me now that being in an environment where obviously if you're a leader to create an environment where you can allow other other people to be vulnerable great but yeah I think it's really important for everyone in your environment to be able to speak out loud and and share how they feel because that's the only way you're gonna yeah like be authentic and be yeah. your true self and get the best from everyone the, the authenticity is something we've discussed a lot on the podcast with with a lot of high performers before is yeah i'd be i've been blown away since i come to the states by people like glenn and doyle and benny brown and others who i i, I just don't think i would have ever been introduced to this work and this stuff had I have stayed where I was and, and doing the same thing, the traditional route, right? Um, you know, for me, I listen to, I know Kristen Press and Tobin Heath have their own uh, podcast going as well. I listen to that a lot because I'm probably the world's biggest Kristen Press fan. But I think as well, mm. like when you listen to it from a different perspective, one that isn't necessarily me as a, you know, middle-aged white man from Wales, like when you listen to a different perspective and look at it in the way that you're talking about, it is an interesting journey to authenticity and it is surprising the math we wear isn't it it's is surprising the persona that we come that we have and hold and think we have to hold and i think the magic is somewhere in that in understanding that and you know wearing the right mask or, or, or even shedding the mask altogether it's really interesting to hear you talk about that same same thing there because there'll be a lot of young you know i say young but aspiring coaches however old will be thinking to themselves well i have to be this or i have to act like this or i have to be that I don't know if we're still there or maybe in five years time we won't we'll have a bit more freedom around that i hope I don't know. yeah i on even just on a daily basis i think they i don't know if others are like me but i guess even just for the amount of meetings and reviews that we do as a technical staff right now we're obviously scrutinizing everything we do to try and be better um, even just in our, our review of the season so far. But for me, even when I do a session, we get the opportunity to watch it back and then I'm I'm making a note of, well, what could I have done a little bit better there? What was off? And yeah, you're really pulling it apart so that you're, it, it's better. And then if you've got the opportunity to hear yourself back as well and 
how 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 did I today interact with the players? What little bits of information did I get? Yeah, constantly observing what what are they showing you? What are they trying to show you? Then maybe not not being so explicit with, especially when you're in an environment like that where you're kind of in the grind of the season and trying to get results. I see it much more uh not transactional, but I see it much I see it much less these days about me imparting information and much more about how players receive information. And I think it's a it's a valuable discussion point because I think when you're younger, certainly when I was in my twenties, I've said this before, it was it was all about getting to keep at the table and proving your worth and proving you belong. And sometimes that's a very frustrating journey because uh, especially, you know, back in the day, it was about people who maybe had to do it the hard way and they kind of thought, well, you should have to suffer a little bit as well. I'm glad we're, that narrative is changing a little now. Your journey in the last 11 years, it, it won't have always been perfect, will it? There will be times where it was really tough for you and there's lessons you've learned. You strike me as someone, Katie, who when that moment came, you met the moment in terms of, okay, I need to learn this now. And and maybe you had people around you and an environment around you that allowed you to do that as well. But you could have turned yourself off at any point and gone, not my ego or my pride. And you didn't. What can you share with people out there to, to, to maybe help them? Yeah, I think just like I said about the, the network you have is really important where you have those different kind of touch points of people who have got those different personalities, whether they're red or blue, yellow, green. Um, I think is really important because, yeah, if we have feedback just from the people within our environment, uh, you're probably going to get similar answers. Um, but then also that's part of the recruitment side of things. I think we've done a really good job at Portland this season where we've had people from different experiences so that we can challenge each other on, on different levels. So, yeah, I think the people you surround yourself with uh, is really important to be able to push yourself forwards. Um, and then, yeah, I guess in terms of being able to get better on a daily basis, um, for me, when I first got to Portland, I think having developed now a relationship with the, the head coach at first, it, I was trying to almost um, hit his expectation um, and adapt to the environment but you've got to recognize that you've been brought into that environment because of your skill set because of your own experiences so it's not just kind of hitting an expectation but actually you're, you need to surpass that <laughs> otherwise you just other teams are going to start taking over you uh, so for me I think my biggest learn one of the biggest learns I've had this year is around my own development is yeah you've got to be bold to bring to life like you said the authenticity of yourself and what makes you you and realize why you're in the position you are to really bring that forward and yeah help help the players and help the environment and e even the staff um because we all have a different viewpoint so there might be something happening collectively amongst the staff that you see and you think, ah, that needs that needs changing, and that needs to be a constant dialogue, so that we're 
we're improving every single day and people are aware of like I said their behaviors and I think in the past I've been in a position where I've not only been able to um, understand myself but then you can't really have as much impact on the other people around you because you're not recognizing how you're behaving you're kind of pointing the finger you know yeah I do know it was parenting that did that for me it was I gotta be <laughs> honest it was becoming a dad that did that for me through me threw it me right into the middle of it all and uh, changed a lot of things um it, it's so fascinating uh, this journey that we go on and I I constantly try and remind you know people that I, I don't know if it's something that can be rushed I don't know what your opinion is on this but I, I feel like you have to experience your teens you have to experience your 20s you have to experience your 30s and while you can be mentored and while you're walking your own path I don't know if I would want to know what I knew at 40 and 21. I feel like it's a journey that as you go, you're kind of authentically the bricks block into place. Um, what would you say, how has that journey been for you? And, and then after this, we'll move on to Portland. But, you know, can you rush this? Because everybody listening here today will be, will be tuning in to hear you and think, well, I can't, you know, I want to be in that position. I want to coach for Portland. I want to be in the league. I want to do this. Mm. But you've been on this step journey almost and I don't know that it can be rushed it can obviously happen quickly I mean 11 years for you is a is a really meteoric rise but can you can you rush this development process is there a value in being where you're at I hope I'm making sense of that question yeah I think you can expose yourself to to more things um but I guess another thing that I've probably learned and maybe this is a thing that comes with age uh but is to People have talked about balance a lot and having that work to life balance, which, yeah, I guess balance is probably the wrong word, but actually having a life outside of football as well and having um, other hobbies has been really important for me to understand and sharing, sharing your experiences like with your friends and family and, and close ones as well has, has been a really important kind of thing for me to get my head around. I think being a younger coach and my ambition hasn't changed at all but when I came to America and I was um first couple of nights I went to Target and was trying to get all the bits and pieces I needed to to fill an apartment and I'm laying on a mattress on the floor and I'm and I'm on my own and I'm thinking okay embrace being on my own I don't need to spend every minute of every day looking at videos or speaking to other coaches or observing or being on the field sometimes I just need to understand what I need reflect on why I'm here why I've got the position I have and my brother's quite spiritual actually and he he said to me when I was kind of at the end of my role in Texas he, he asked me that question he said why did you go to Gulf Coast and it just allowed me to kind of step back and reflect on the decisions I'd made, the hard work I'd put in and yeah, recognize what I wanted to do next, who I was and all of that stuff um, and what I really valued. And that was a really important movement piece for me really is it was around when I moved away from home and all that network I had and how comfortable I was it just allowed me to grow in in a different way away from football soccer and 
uh yeah now i'm in portland my to-go thing is pickleball i absolutely love pickleball i'm ne- i nearly talk about pickleball now as much as i do soccer well and let's ha- get into this pickleball idea what what is it about pickleball that excites you so much <laughs> well a lot of the the people that i play with are older than me and i think right. that helps me as well because i'm just like they have so many different experiences like life experiences like yeah. You've got people in there that are like volleyball NCAA champions and you've got people that have traveled the world and yeah, you've got retired people and yeah, you've got everyone really. And so just those experiences from different people, different conversations. And then, and then they ask you about your game at the weekend. And then, so then you're trying to think about like, how, how do I talk about this, but not to the, do I talk about it to the same level as I would my my yeah. colleagues and so it's just it's a really interesting conversation and they're so passionate about it and when they come and watch the game they've got like the scarf they they're, they're part of it so that's really cool and then yeah just for me it's just it's a blowout you it's two hours worth of getting competitive and like I can actually like smash it as hard as I want and yeah just and then I'm starting to try and think about a little bit of the tactic side of it, and yeah, I get really it's into the coach. it. So. There's the coach. There's the coach in you again. It's uh, it's actually really interesting because it's probably about the right size for me a pickleball court. I can just about get around a pickleball court. Any any bigger than that, I'd be struggling. There's no uh, so there's no tennis in me anymore. <laughs> even to the extent now where when we go on away trips, I take my my paddle, and I try and get the staff involved. So yeah. I try and give, especially like our medical oh. team, I have to say the medical team are unbelievable. Like they go, they spend so much time with the players and like just to take them out for an hour and yeah. just allow, just laugh at them trying to hit the ball. Yeah. But yeah. also just like, yeah, just get to know them on a different level is really important. Uh, brilliant and I, I absolutely reiterate that huge shout out to all the medical people and the high performance support people in those environments that you're in because quite yes for a coach you and I both know we, we're often sat with our laptops or meeting and talking soccer which is great but you know sometimes you come down at one in the morning and, and you know the sports therapist will still be there working on players and still doing things late into the into the night and these are the things we don't get noticed or seen so Huge shout out to them and as well. Um, you're so you're at you're in Portland. You've come to you know one of the biggest cities for soccer and women's soccer in the country. Traditionally, one of the best supported teams with a storied history of success and some of the best players in the world. You know, Christine Sinclair. You know, we could go on and on and on and on. I've been there a couple of times myself, was fortunate to play there with FC Kansas City in 2017. And I experienced that crowd and that those fans and that that life, even just walking around the stadium, because the stadium's kind of in the middle of it all, isn't it? And you've arrived here now, amalgamation of, uh, you know, 10 years of work to get to that point. It, it, your first day, can we talk about your first day? Was it what you expected it to be? Was it Was there anything you kind of went home and went, wow, that was different? or because lots of people will be aiming to get there, but you've experienced it. So what was your first day like? <laughs> well, I'd done the drive from Texas to uh, Portland in a, with a Penske and a trailer. <laughs> so glamorous, was... glamorous, yeah. 
<laughs> so that was the first part. I was adamant to keep my car because that was hard work in the first place, being international and going through that process. So, yeah, um, finally done the drive, said to the general manager, I am, when I drive in at midday, I'll find a place and then I'll start the next day. And they were like, there's no chance of that happening. It happened. <laughs> I drove past every single place. Thanks to my partner, we uh, we got the everything signed off. I went to my first day of work. Everything was unpacked the next day. Um, so, yeah, I was adamant I needed to get that side of things right. I didn't want to be stuck in a hotel room for weeks on end. Um, I wanted the right home environment. Um, but, yeah, first day was just a case of, well, actually, the first thing we did was we had, like, a league meeting. So, yeah, I got kind of the rough end of the what what people would say was your first day, just because you're you're not on the grass and stuff. But just a real good opportunity to meet everyone. I was just really excited to like get the kit, know where the locker room was, like know what kind of facility we were working in. Um, so yeah, first day was just really just getting to know people it wasn't really kind of on the grass stuff it wasn't the, the on-field stuff you kind of think about as a as a coach so yeah felt well integrated felt really valued um our general manager talks a lot about like us having the best staff so really felt like I was surrounded by good people and like I said people with different experiences so that was really important to me um, was yeah just welcomed by our head of recruitment Mike Smith and went out for a coffee and things like that so yeah just just felt like a good environment for me to be in uh, and then yeah I guess I'm just going to skip quickly to what you said about like the the um, stadium and stuff like for me being in Portland on a match day is like nothing I've ever experienced like I've been to the Burnabout I've been to Camp New like it's just for that to be for a women's football game is just incredible. Like we'd have a, if we were lucky, we'd have a couple of hundred back in England for the championship. Like of course, like now when they fill out the the Premier League stadiums, that's that's brilliant. Um, but week in week out to have like nineteen to twenty two thousand, like chanting Portland songs. And then you'd have the big TIFO get like unveiled. I've never experienced a TIFO before in real life. Like, so that was just like incredible. And on a match day, I'm actually, I'll do the warm up and then I go up to the stands right in kind of like the media boxes um, and watch the majority of the game from there and do a lot of the kind of analysis work and speak down to the, um, to the guys on the bench. So I get kind of that bird's eye view of everything and get to soak it all in. And you've got the national anthem, obviously, every single game. So it's you just get to kind of take it all in. And the best experience for me was when my mum came to watch us play against San Diego this year. And um, our logistics said to me, uh, do you want your mum to come on the field after the game? And I was like, yes, you'll absolutely love that. And so... It was funny because when I got to see her on the field, like she was obviously, she'd been upset because she was just so like overridden with emotion. And then she came onto the field and it was just a massive occasion for her. And I think just 
knowing kind of what I'd come from and seen my journey and how much work I'd put in like when we were in COVID I lived back home for a little bit um and she'd seen how much I was on my laptop doing zoom calls with all the kids and everything like that and um yeah taking up her dining room space and everything like that so it was just a really nice moment for me with my mum there and just the atmosphere but yeah the the Portland fans are incredible the the stadium and the on a match day is a great place to be for anyone um whether it's their first game for soccer or whether yeah they're they're diehard Portland fans it's it doesn't surprise me at all my my opinions of Portland looking from the outside in I'd like to think that logistic person knew what that would have meant to you I'm pretty sure they did and I think it's intentional and I think that when you know as a culture you actually have something that really works isn't it and you know these moments as fleeting as they are and as rare as they are they're so powerful and so poignant but uh, yeah so it's so amazing to hear it's so amazing to think of the story to you know I don't know enough that people really understand what the life is like you know it's not all success and it's not all getting what you want and it's not all guaranteed an output for an for an input you know this is the life of soccer isn't it and you know you you arrive now in this brand new place and you're in this job and it's 100 miles an hour and you know you mentioned there about driving your own van across the country and, and and kind of rocking up the very next day and you know these are the things that people don't don't see but you know, you'll be into it now. You've been there for a little while, and you, and you, you know, you've got your feet under the table, so to speak. You, you mentioned your role on a match day there, and I've had similar roles in the past. Can you, can you talk to people a little bit about how that works? You know, because you you are mic'd up to the bench nowadays. Certainly, you know, a few years ago that wasn't the case, but now you're mic'd up to the bench. Um, you know, you're seeing things from a tactical perspective. Can you? I think there'd be a lot of coaches out there interested in how this works and what value that provides for decision making on the pitch. Yeah, and it kind of wraps into what your question was before around kind of my first day or my first week was we were pulled in uh, just before our pre-season tournament that we were hosting. So we, as staff, weren't used to each other. It was a case where the new head coach, where previously he'd been an assistant coach, um was trying to understand people's strengths, where they felt comfortable. And so, yeah, we, we decided that I was going to be up kind of in the media box. And so you do the warm up. And so on match day, we arrive a couple of hours early. We have a bit of food, staff meet, go for all the kind of the match pack on how we want to handle each kind of decision in the game if it, if it arises so that we're prepared. And then you've got, um, the players arrive in, they do their thing, they have treatment, they do what they need to do. And then we have the warm up with the players. We obviously address the players. We look at what the opposition have brought to the table that day. And then I go up, I rush up so that I get there before kind of the uh, national anthem. And each stadium's different. So before that, when I first arrive and everyone's kind of getting themselves set up and the players are obviously getting dressed, I'm finding the logistics of the opposition team so that I can 
find my best route up and then my best route down to the bench and then my best route from the bench to the um, locker room. So sometimes you've got stairs, sometimes you've got elevators, like sometimes you're going out into like where fans actually are. Sometimes you're being expected to be like on a little desk standing up. Sometimes you've got your own media room. So like it completely changes. The standards are like, don't seem, yeah, there's no set standard really across the league. So that's definitely a conversation to be had. But we have something called Speedio run across all the different um, stadiums. So that allows us to access the games live. And um, we also have a remote analyst as well. So I can contact them. And then whilst the game's going on, I'm mic'd up to our assistant coach, the other assistant coach. And yeah, our roles are kind of divvied up. So one coach deals with kind of subs. One coach um, is pretty much kind of on the grass, supporting the players on the field, having those quick conversations if need be with with the manager and also kind of relaying information to me. At the same time, I'm giving kind of my bird's eye view of the game from like a tactical perspective or even little things like I quite like looking at what else is going on. So I like to think I'm quite an observant person. So the opportunity to kind of see what's happening on the opposition bench and what's happening kind of elsewhere. And then I've obviously got access to my laptop. I've got access to more information that those on the bench don't have. So I can really be prepared um, for any situation. And then when they're making subs, it's looking at those changes from a different perspective from those on the bench. So then when it comes to half time, um, this is obviously how we work. Other teams will work differently. But I would have um, had a playlist put together where I've had the information come from the bench of what we what is kind of needed to show the players. Um, from a video perspective and then I'll kind of confirm that go down a little bit before half time make sure I'm, I'm happy with what's being shown to the players so out of that playlist make sure that we only show a couple of clips if needed and then we address the players and then I rush back up which is normally a quicker rush um, so I'm like they're tapping on the elevator and then if that's not working, I've got to like run up five flights of stairs with my rucksack, with my laptop and everything else in. So that's my fitness for the day. No pickleball. And then I, um, yeah, support again from the top, depending on how the game goes. I'll come down um, and end the game with the staff on the bench. Hopefully it's one of those where I actually get to be on the bench for one of the goals and be part of the celebrations. Because um, it's no fun when you're coming down the elevator and you miss a goal. And you don't even know the score if you're like in well-soundproofed elevators. So, yeah, and then that's the end of the game. And then my role is to work with the players who've had low minutes or not got to play. So I'll do kind of a post-session for those girls. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of time to debrief as staff. And then we start going into the next game, which... As, again, going back to my role, I would have kind of prepared for the next two games. So then all my thoughts are kind of on, right, what's next? And making sure the head coach and the other staff are kind of savvy to the information I've got and what I've looked at. And then they have the option to look into it a little bit more. And then we'll start to prepare the game plan for the next game. And, yeah, training session. And I might fit in a bit of pickleball if I have a day off. And back at it again.
It's amazing insight. I don't know that fans really get to see what actually goes on, you know, during that kind of two-hour window. Obviously, they're there to watch the game, but uh, it, it's just amazing to get the level of insight that, you know, these are the processes that people are going through um, to get the three points on a, on a Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is. I, I want to kind of, I want to kind of talk, I want to move on a little bit to talk about, uh, you know, your wider role and college game and recruitment and, and all that mm. kind of stuff. But to kind of wrap up this this part with you know with your with your role now in the in the in the in the NWSL and obviously Portland is traditionally a team that are at the top winning more games than they're losing. You know, there's obviously a pressure there and I don't I don't know if it's something that gets spoken about enough. And I think you've talked phenomenally today about like expectation. I loved your point about not just meeting expectation, but exceeding expectation. And and when you get a role, it's not because you're supposed to fit into what you know other people want you to be. You've got to be yourself. You're recruited for that reason. I love all those sentiments. I think that gives a lot of aspiring coaches such grace and strength to make mistakes and and to and to understand they're on this journey. But you know, it, let's have it right. There's pressure involved at the level you're at now, and there's fans involved, and there's you know, you have to win. What can you tell people about that? How can they prepare to be ready when they get there like you are? What did you do to prepare to be ready? Yeah, I'm laughing because my mum will give me updates on what she's seen on social media after the game and I'll go, I don't want to hear it. And she'll go, oh, they're saying this about Mike. And I'm like, <laughs> like you say, they don't see what happens behind the scenes or they don't realise no, that we've had yeah. someone just travel from Japan and Finland yeah, like two yeah. days before. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's interesting, kind of, the external pressures. Um, but I think we're in a, such a good environment as, as staff and you, it's not like we're getting people banging on our bus, like, or knocking on our front door, that sort of pressure. So I couldn't imagine what, what that's like. We're, we do have to travel sometimes with security and like you've got people wanting to take photos and stuff like that, which is obviously a nice part of the, of the job. Um, but in terms of pressure, um, I feel like I'm quite a, a calm character in that sense. Like most of my personality doesn't say that, but in terms of like when it comes to the game, like with my old, an old manager that I worked with, like she used to feel very nervous on a match day. And for me, match day is my, my favourite day because you've done all the prep and you should be in a good position. But um, there's definitely pressure to win. Um, but when you when you go through the detail you do on a day-to-day -day basis and, yeah, you're trying to find any competitive edge and, yeah, the amount of research that you do is, yeah, higher than I've ever done before just to yeah stay in a position you need to be in it this league is incredible like the fact that everyone was still in it and at the end of the season with like a week and a bit to go it means that you you've got to be ready you you've got a whether it's an extra conversation with a player whether it's an extra meeting um whether it's an extra hour looking at the opposition whether i don't know it's just yeah, you're constantly researching. And this is where I think I used to go a little bit crazy when I said about the balance piece where 
I would just spend hours and hours when I got home just working and working, but it, it drained me and it, it wasn't actually helpful. So it's making sure that what the research you are doing is actually going to benefit the team and benefit the people around you. So I think at some point you need to put it to bed and be comfortable with the, the players, the plan. As long as everyone's on the same page and like you've prepared the players, you've exposed them to what they need to see and do on the field it's kind of like rehearsed almost some of it and you've given them the confidence they've they feel happy with the plan then I don't think the pressure is there so much like from a player's perspective it's going to be very different and obviously sometimes there's money involved as well like you'll get bonuses for mm. for doing well in certain competitions and so on so I guess people will put different pressure on themselves but for me, like, it's the enjoyment part of it. Like, at the end of the day, you want to be the ones with the trophy and the medal and and have that kind of, that banner hanging at the, in the next pre-season where it says you, you've won the league. Um, so I think it's just looking forward to that in, in terms of it exciting, as an exciting prospect rather than, like, a fear of what could go wrong, you know? Great to hear you describe it like that. And I think the best coaches that I've come across or the high performing people that I've been around there's definitely something in the theory that if the preparation is done if the work is done if the hours are put in you can feel slightly different about that pressure because you do feel ready and you do you know you can't control the result you know that the game is going to be the game but you haven't cut any corners and you've worked smart and you've worked for long enough that mm. you you know you haven't cheated anything and I think that is what provides you with solace in the real pressure moments when I think back for those moments of my own career, I've kind of shared your your take on it there. Yes, there's pressure, but it's the kind of pressure you want. It isn't pressure like, oh no, the world, you know, the world's gonna end and everything's gonna fall down because you know your time at Chelsea, your time at Everton, your time at the FA, your time even moving to the state starting at graphic soccer, like you've put in the work. And I think that's a message we want to put out to all aspiring coaches, wherever they are. They are doing that preparatory work for when that pressure comes, they're ready. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, and you know what? Like when we talk about players being put in a training environment that's harder than the game so that they're ready, it's the same for staff. Like the amount of times this season where I've almost been put under pressure where I have to deliver a task quickly or, oh, you're going to deliver this or to the players or, or whatever. And that's made me more comfortable with having less time I feel like now I'm able to do tasks in a short amount of time because uh, I can prepare myself mentally to do the task you know and um, so I think if if you're a leader as well I think it's it's great if you can expose the other people around yourself to things like that where you're putting them under pressure um, so that then when it actually need to perform, that it's easy for them, you know? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I, I never miss an opportunity to talk about one of the most wonderful men I've ever been fortunate to be around and work for, Dick Bates, and, you know, sadly no longer with us. But when when Dick came into Cardiff City, when I was there, the youth team coach, he, never forget this, the first day, he walked up to my desk with three DVDs in his hand. One was... Raquel May, uh, the Argentinian midfielder. One was uh, Luka Modric. Uh, two on Luka Modric, actually. And he basically looked at me. He, did, he asked my name and everything else. But he basically said to me, right, 
I'd like to know how many times each of these players touches the ball once, twice, and three times. And I'd like it all clipped up and given back to me. Can you do it? And obviously I said, yes. No idea how I was going to do it. This is like mm. fourth, fourth road even. Um, but I just said, yes. And then I figured out a way to do it. And I said, tomorrow, all right? And he kind of looked at me as if to say, oh, not this afternoon, but he, he was being mischievous. But I brought him back these DVD clips the next day. And I think it was, like you said, his way of just kind of seeing how I would react. Of course, he was mm. interested in the actual footage. And later on, I saw him using that footage with players. So it wasn't like he was just getting me to do it for the sake of it. But it was one of those ways that a leader comes in and, you know, tries to kind of inspire and, and lead and test you and find out about you all in the same thing. And at the time, I had no idea. But looking back now, I think it was genius in his part. Kind of what you're saying there, isn't it? Yeah, and you, you find a way. Like, in terms of if you've given 10 minutes to do something, you get it done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's brilliant, but there's going to be, I, I just got to say thank you, Katie, for just being so honest and open, like, you, you, what you're doing here, and I've done this a few times now, like, maybe 10 or 12 episodes, right, but what you're doing here is you're giving a real window for people to, like, they, they, they dream of being where you are, right, but they can't see it, or how it's going to happen, or where it's going to come from, you're giving them a real chance to just be okay with where they are, and learn, and develop, and I mean, if there was any reason that I started doing this in the first place, that was it. So thank you. Okay, can't thank you enough. Such amazing insight this last hour to get to share with you the the strength that emanates from you and and the competence that emanates from you. I think it's a great, you know, it's a great benchmark and and, and learning lesson for any aspiring coach to basically. You know, work where their feet are at, develop themselves, you know, work on being authentic and vulnerable, but but ultimately keep aspiring and dreaming because, you know, now you're right in the middle of it and you're delivering week in, week out. And even now in the postseason, you're not getting a break of any real kind, are you? I'm sure you've had a little bit of time uh, to, to, you know, recalibrate and spend some time with loved ones. But, but now, even in the postseason, it, it's still as full on and now you're into recruiting and the draft is on around the corner and, you know, the college game and you've, you've been watching the final four this weekend. And can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, maybe the post-season work of the professional coach and what life is like for you when the, when the matches stop maybe and we'll, uh, we'll sign off with that section. Yeah, so everything's a first for me this year. Uh, we obviously fell short this, this year, coming second in the league and then um, falling to the, what, ended up being the champions to Gotham in the semi. So we finished kind of a week before what we were hoping for um, and everything was planned as if we were going to championship. You have to because you've got flights, you've got everything to, to organise. Um, and then kind of our, our debrief uh, phase we're in now is a case where each department will kind of break down how the season's gone uh, We'll have different tasks. We'll try and cover everything, really. And then we'll come together. And this week, actually, we'll, yeah, go through everything. Go through all the work that everyone's been doing in the last couple of weeks. And then we'll do a preview as staff and plan for, yeah, everything next season. So already we've got kind of the dates in the diary for pre-season and everything else that needs to, to go into place. But 
it's just a constant revolving door at the minute in terms of players and um, negotiations and trying to build a strategy for the draft. So you've got, yeah, double whammy this year. You've got expansion draft where we can protect players and from the two new expansion teams coming in where I find this absolutely nuts being from England where they can just steal your players. So the like the ability to build a team and a culture and then then just be ripped out of that is um yeah new to me. So adjusting to that and yeah making sure that we have a plan for that come December, obviously coming around the corner now. And then we are preparing for the college draft in January. So initially we we work out who is going to be graduating. We form a list and over the course of the the years that the, the staff have been here, obviously you'll track the players that are coming through the different years. So we had a good understanding from last year and then you add to it and then we start to contact coaches. So we um we break down between us who's going to contact who and then we are in a position where we know we have a good idea who will be graduating. Obviously, things will change and people might even sign elsewhere in, in different countries because the rules are different to over here. And then, yeah, we'll decide kind of where we think people will come out in the draft. We'll look at who's got what picks, what do other clubs need, what obviously, most importantly, what do we need, who's kind of, who's left recently, um, who else are we looking to bring in that's, that's not from the college game and then yeah doing a really deep dive on those individual players so having a database where we have every every bit of information about that player if possible having spoken to the coaches themselves and then when we have a good idea of who we want um potentially to come into our environment at some point if if that if it falls that way we'll contact the the players themselves and be in a position where we know more about them as a person and yeah get to hear from them and their ambitions and I think that's really important but yeah this is all very new to me and then we'll go into to January and things could all change very quickly and people might <laughs> as, they in, might as they invariably do yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm imagining there's going to be lots of change and um, having to adapt very quickly and I see it on the tv in the past where People are picking up phones and making quick yeah. notes and hopefully we're, we're well prepared for all of the eventualities and then we'll get the players that um, we have wanted to add to our current squad. And then, yeah, it's a part of integrating them into the squad and evolving on um, what we did this year and obviously all the lessons learned in the review that we've done in the off-season and starting to adjust like our methods a little bit because obviously we've got new staff in we've got a new head coach and making sure that we can solidify kind of our identity and how we want to move forward so there's so many different moving parts to it and yeah our, our staff are incredible and there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in terms of like contracts and the research people do in the legal side of things and sorting out players visas and contracts and uh yeah medical and talking to their national teams it's 
and then you've got Olympics coming up and then you've got players that might want to retire and yeah it's just there's so much to to get your head around and be part of those conversations but I think something that has been interesting this year is that because there is so much information it's knowing where you should spend your time where you're going to be most effective who needs to know what um is definitely a piece to for kind of leadership to manage there were, i was at the um, i went to my first draft last year and i was i was there in the room and uh, the energy from the different tables <laughs> and all the different technical staff i was just watching everybody like you said earlier you know watching perhaps whatever else was not watching and you know the clock starts and everything goes and it's very it's you know, it's, it, you're gonna you're gonna love it, but I I just wanted to experience what that was like, and the families were all kind of next to me, waiting for their, you know, their moment, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting thing, a very unique American mm. thing as well. Um, so yeah, I, we we obviously do a lot of work here at the ProPlayer.com with aspiring players and players in youth soccer and trying to get recruited, and you know, one day their dream is to be in this draft. One of the of the top forty players in the country and be in this draft and make it through to training camp and then actually get through and, and get a place on the roster. So, you know, what's your what's your initial sort of early advice to them, those young, you know, fourteen to seventeen year olds who are on the recruiting trail, out there every week, dedicating their lives to yeah. to, to being a professional soccer player. And and really interestingly now, which I love is you know, we've got two options now. We've got a lot of players signing into the league before they go to college now, as well as going through the college route. So, you know, if you could speak directly to those young girls who are dreaming and aspiring to be in the league one day, what what, what would you be saying to them as you sit there as a, as a coach in the league? Then? Yeah, um, show your personality, I think, like on the field. And even just I'm looking at little things. I'm looking at how they celebrate. What are they like with the coaches on the sidelines? What's their body language like? So the their personality in how they play and the energy they bring. Um, but yeah, you don't want someone that's just kind of running around pointlessly. There's got to be purpose to it. So I think the personality side is huge. Um, for me, that's kind of the standout and knowing kind of what their, I guess their super strength is. Um, is it that they're a 1v1 specialist? Keep doing it. Keep trying it. Try something different. What And then especially because we have the opportunity now, like where you've got things like Y Scout, where you can see so much of the game and it can all be broken down into different elements where like from one game to another, you can even see the progress of the players. So, yeah, what sort of player are you? And do you know your identity? Like we've had that conversation this year with um, one of our players. So, like we go back to that authenticity again what sort of player are you um how are you going to stand out but at the end of the day show your personality as well and who you are in person for those players who are playing you know perhaps even now you know on the 16 and 17 level we've seen you know Olivia Moultrie's rise we've seen other players following those footsteps we're even seeing some of the first shoots of players going to join major teams in Europe but also those players playing in college soccer they the advice to them is that you are watching, you're always watching, you've got access to everything and everything they do, you know, it's not so much a big brother pressure. It's more like, a, you know, we're going to get, we're going to do our homework and we're going to find out who the best players are. And, and this really is a, you know, four-year audition if you're in college and every time you take on the field, you're, you're stepping up there through what you can do, I suppose. Yeah, like there's so many different, this is just the scale of this 
country. There's games everywhere. There's recruitment events going on everywhere. And we don't quite have the staffing right now and the resource to get ourselves out there to go and watch youth games everywhere across the country. And I think that's coming. I think seeing it in the Women's Super League now in England where the scouting departments are getting bigger, uh, but we can see games on TV now. You can see all the college games on ESPN Plus. Like there's, It's there for everyone to see. And you've got so much investment in that side of things where you can see who's won player of the week and you've seen, you can see who's won this award and that award and yeah, and people talk. So you've got social media as well where people can, you've got younger players now that are promoting themselves on social media and you can see the private sessions they're doing with this person and that person. So obviously that's going to help them in some ways, but yeah, you've got, you've got to stay humble. You've got to stay grounded and just, I think it at the end of the day, if you're good enough, you you'll make it. It's just making sure that you're seeing what the game needs, especially like in this country, the MWSL. It's, it's a very different type of game to the English game. Um, so ha- when you're watching it, how are you going to stand out in that in that environment? Fantastic insight. Great advice and. Um you know, the dedication and, and not just of the players, but of their families that I've seen in this country. You know, people live this life, dedicate their entire, you know, teen years to developing as a soccer player. And, you know, there's some amazing work, as I say, going on. It truly is a balance between, like we said, promoting yourself on social media, making sure you're getting your highlights out there, but also, as you've said, you know, doing the individual work that makes you you and, and developing your super strength. I think we're, we're, we're seeing that you know, from our side now in terms of trying to help players with their individual game film and what makes them really effective in a match. You know, what are you better than 90% of other people? And bring that every game, you know, with respect to your team and your game plan and your DNA and everything else. Make sure you're influencing matches with a young player with the advice that we give them. And it's, it's the same stuff you say you're looking for there. It's, it's, it's been a phenomenal hour or so. I can't thank you enough, Katie. I, I know you're super busy and we really appreciate you spending this time with us just to help, you know, aspiring players and coaches all around the world. We, we you know, we have listeners in Australia and Europe and, and all across North America. And I know they're going to be tuning in to hear this episode with you today. I know they're going to take so much strength away from it. So huge thank you. Last word to you to sign off, to say anything you would like. And just a huge thank you from us at theproplayer.com. Yeah, really appreciate you asking me to to be on your podcast uh feel honored i know you've had some great speakers so far hoping that you get uh your wish of Kristen press next <laughs> <laughs> well if anybody knows Kristen press yes we would love to have her on uh I, I i actually we played i was with jamaica for a little while and we played the us we got beat but i was lined up to get Kristen press's shirt after the game and it, the the kit man brought it in but somebody took it one of the players took it so uh I never quite got that shirt either, but it's okay. I've gotten over it now. I um I, I followed Kristen's career all through her time, even when she went to United and everything else. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll grow and get big enough to have her on. So thank you so much. I mean, honestly, like I'm blown away every time I speak to people in the industry like you who are not only working at the highest level, uh, Katie, but also have so much time and empathy and 
and, and want to help the people coming behind them and leave a better of a target. So thank you very much. That's exactly why we started this project in the first place. And it's been a phenomenal hour or so. Great to speak with you. And we can't wait to see what not only the Thorns do in the future, but also what you go on and do as well. So uh, we're wishing you all the best, everybody here at the Pro Player Doctor. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you very much for doing what you're doing.